Good morning, good evening, good night, wherever, however, and whenever you're listening. Welcome to another episode of The Melanie Report. I'm your host, Marquise Lupton, and we have another dope, jam-packed show for you today. Give you a heart attack, man. I'll tell you that. It's Wednesday, so you know we have a great interview lined up for you today. Today, we have none other than Justin Drummond, who is a serious serial entrepreneur. I mean, this brother has multiple companies and we are going to talk about each and every one of them. My favorite one is the cybersecurity and the soup company. What are those? Well, like I said, we will get into those. And if you have not checked out Monday's episode yet with Dr. Kamika Campbell, then friend, ease on down that podcast road and do your ears a favor and listen to the top five headlines of the week that we have for you. Again, our guest today is Justin Drummond. Justin, what's going on? Thank you for joining us on the Melanin Report today. Oh, man, glad to be here, man. I appreciate it, man. That was a great intro, man. I love the <laughs> you're doing over here. So glad to be on the, uh, the uh, Melanin Report for sure. Yeah, so um, um, first first and foremost, uh, um. You were a D1 basketball player. Now, um, uh, lesser lesser basketball players like myself always um, always you know admired the uh, D1 ball players. So uh, for for those you know lower skilled players like myself, can you uh, briefly explain your um, uh, process uh, making it to a D1 university and playing for a D1 college? Yeah, man. So started playing basketball at age five, you know, in the community, being outside. You know, I was born in the the, the late nineties. Yeah, yeah, early late nineties. So, you know, it was outside on the blacktop, you know, and yeah. sports as we grow up, man. So, you know, um really took it serious though, man. You know, didn't always know I would be division one, you know. The goal was to always just to get a, a scholarship to help mm. my parents, you know, not have to pay for school, you know. So that was my true motivation. And it kind of played out that way. You know, I was going through middle school, didn't really have my height yet. Um, but I, I was always putting in time, was a good shooter. But as I got to 10th grade, I started to grow. Mm. And once I started to grow, you know, then you had to talk to me a little different after that. <laughs> so, um, you know, I went to a really good school called Huntington Prep, mm. which is probably one of the top high schools in West Virginia. Got recruited to go out there and then uh, finished at Riverdale Baptist. But I, I, I committed to Loyola University, Damn. Maryland. That was a mid-major school. And that's the, to the testament of my goal was just to get a scholarship. Mm. Bro, I didn't know I would, you know, high major, mid-major, it didn't really matter. So that was my first school that offered me. Yeah. And, you know, usually your first school is not really your true potential, as I would say, right? Because, mm. you know, I was first team all met. I mean, I was first team, mm. yeah, I was first team all met my senior year with, like, Quinn Cook, you know, the the, the Victor Oladipo's, the, yeah. the Mark Hill Stars, and they're going to Georgetown, dude. Uh, da, 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 da. And then you see mine, it says Loyola. But it wasn't really about the basketball for me. It was always about being able to secure. And I could have decommitted because I had uh, tons of other larger schools, right? Mm-hmm. But it was just, man, the goal was met. And then, you know, and you never know. You could decommit. You can get hurt. You know, you just don't know what cards lie for you right. after you do that. So once I got my, my first offer from Loyola University, Maryland, uh, committed there and uh, played out graduated from Riddle Baptist and went there and had a really good career. But that was my vision ultimately was to get a scholarship, mm. not to go to, you know, University of Maryland. Now, if it was there, it was there. But, 
you know, my mindset was always to just secure that for my parents. And I was like, man, I don't care if, you know, I got George Mason calling me or Oregon State calling me. Yeah. I got my scholarship. So, you know what, you know, maybe in the transfer years, something may come up, but I'm not risking this because my parents were sick. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So if I have, if I had a son, I would do it a little different. I'm like, all right, son, you could probably decommit it and test your options a little bit because, you know, I've been through it, mm-hmm. but I never had any other, um, you know, family members that went through it. So it was like, man, we got to secure this right now. And then, you know, we'll learn the lesson the next generation or something like that. So that was, that was how I ultimately got there. But the decision to stay going to Loyola instead of going to like a high major, because I was a high major, I was average about 27 points in high school. Ooh. I was pretty good, but people ask me, man, why'd you stay with Loyola? And I'm like, man, cause the goal was already accomplished. Mm. And uh, you know, if I could do it a little different, maybe I probably would have, but I, you know, I ain't got no complaints about, you know, everything that went down. So that was kind of my journey of how I got the scholarship. But man, a lot of hard work, you know, I was always kind of underestimated. Mm-hmm. Um, but just put in the time, man, you know, luckily I had the frame for it, you know, can't teach height. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and that was a big piece that really kind of got me over the edge. Right. So um so after after you graduated uh college, what mm-hmm. was the first business that you started? Oh, so yeah, so I actually started my cybersecurity company while I was in college. Oh wow. So, yeah, so my so my first my first two years was at Loyola. I was really good. I was all conference player. Mm-hmm. Uh, once out of the year, we actually went to the tournament. My 2012 year, we won the conference, went to the tournament. Wow! Then after I transferred from Loyola, because I, I I definitely hit my ceiling there for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, went to the University of Toledo, which is a higher mid major, and we I had a really we were really good. Man, I was all conference there. We didn't go to the tournament. Went to the NIT, but when I was the leading scorer on the team, that's when I started my business. Wow. So people were kind of like, man, I don't know. If, I don't know. Drum is focused. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm most definitely focused. <laughs> you know, I'm focused on what matters. And that's making sure, you know, that once this time is over, I've utilized everything that I could right. to propel me to my next level of life. You know, ball was never life for me. It was always like ball was like the to, like the means to get to the life that I wanted to live. Mm, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like kind of the scholarship thing. Right. It was never about the basketball. It was about the scholarship. Yeah. Because, you know, at any moment this stuff can end and i've always tried to keep that on my forefront even though it was tough because it was good man and i had a lot of you know a lot of kind of clout when it came to just the basketball and the the team we were on to Mm -hmm. stay focused on the bigger vision all right so um so your cyber security business that you started um uh during school was that um spark c yeah spark c yeah Mm all right so then um can you tell us about Spark C and the mission behind yeah. your um, cybersecurity business yeah, and, yeah. Um, and and management firm? Yeah, so cyber so so Spark C is a cybersecurity management and e-learning development company. So we have kind of two pillars. Cybersecurity is our main service that we're kind of want to take us into the future, but e-learning is a big industry now, and you know we're capitalizing on that as well. And you know I've kind of built the strategy over time. You know when I was in college and started it. It was only from the passion of I love to just I love security, man. I was the guy. I was the kid locking the doors at nighttime, checking the alarm, Mm. making sure that, you know, things were locked around the house. And then over time, my understanding of security evolved. And so when I was in school, cybersecurity was the future. So it's not locking doors no more. Right. We passed that level. And now it's to cyber. So that was my kind of growth, growth pathway. As I was in school, I was looking ahead and it's like this is the future and more so wanting to be there. So we provide these services to federal clients, state clients, private clients, um, healthcare, healthcare data sector clients, 
Um, we recently just got a couple contract awards um, through the GSA schedule for some cybersecurity services. So wow. we're a small company, about six full-time employees, um, a couple contractors that work here and there. But uh, we're, we're doing well. You know, we're kind of on a slow grind. You know, with me being so young, um, there's just a lot of barriers I have to break through for, for, you know, whether it's validity, trust, credibility. And maybe if I have all those things still, you know, being in an industry that is predominantly, you know, not us kind of makes it, a, you know, another kind of obstacle as well. But, you know, I, I don't take any complaints or any kind of, you know, victimhood with it. I just get up and go grind. So that's kind of the full scope of what we do over at Spark. Um, mm-hmm. And with our e-learning side, we, you know, service colleges, federal government, state and local um municipalities as well so uh the digital realm as we know it's it's interconnected globally so how does spark c address the importance of international cybersecurity standards and cooperation in its operations yeah so that's good that you asked that so we literally just passed our um our iso certification and it's one of the international standard organizations for like private project management quality management and these are organ these are kind of certifications that really tie everyone's infrastructure practices into one, right? Mm. Um, a lot of your larger companies require you to have these, they're called ISO, which is the International Standard Standard Organization, that more so puts out these requirements that allow governments to maintain a certain level of trust that corporations are following guidelines that keep their data secure, their risk low, and to make sure that, you know, no breaches that can either whether they can bring a national security risk or even more of a local level security risk. Um, these are some of the things that, you know, industry is doing. And we just received our certification last week. It took oh, wow. about eight months and over probably 200 policies and documents. But that's kind of the business that, you know, is cybersecurity mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, kind of technology as a whole. So, I'm and, and I'm glad that you, uh, well, we're talking about, to technology, but 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 I'm glad that you used the word technology because that's actually my next question here. Uh, talking about uh, the artificial intelligence side of of technology, so how do you see the role of AI and machine learning in shaping the future of cybersecurity and e-learning? Yeah, so definitely with cybersecurity, I mean, ultimately a lot of uh, well, let's say as humans, as humans and tools that ultimately secure a network. So ultimately, the tools that we are using are ultimately being embedded with AI, right? So let's say if you have a network, say back in the day, you had to understand the network within the humans. Mm. But now AI allows us to understand the network, more and more so network patterns, right, within its own AI. So it continues to improve itself on the, on, on its ability to find vulnerabilities, yeah. uh, figure out, you know, people's habits that can bring more vulnerability to the network. Um, or even understanding the vendors that you're using within your network to make sure that they're being analyzed on a monthly, quarterly basis. These are all the things that the tool is able to do now, which ultimately provides better data for the human to be able to make their decision. Because mm. usually humans, usually tools are not the cause of the breach. It's the human that's the cause of the breach. <laughs> them not them not listening to the data or ultimately them um, you know, not having the proper security practices. So human error is the main reason for cybersecurity threats. And AI is going to help the tool take off some of that responsibility by, you know, being able to have that continuous learning, that continuous basically machine learning that continues to improve itself 
based on the vulnerabilities it's faced with on a daily basis. Yeah. And um, the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, this this has uh, either either displaced or or helped uh, helped a bunch of small businesses. So for yourself, um, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic has accelerated the adoption of virtual technology. So how does Spark C assist companies in effectively ledger- leveraging uh, these technologies while maintaining uh, their security measures? Yeah. So one of the things that, you know, we're having to really do is with our cybersecurity services to be, you know, to be on site with the asset. Mm. So that means like, you know, at home, if you're at home, we're still on site with that asset where we are deploying cloud agents, where these are agents that are in the cloud that deploy to your system. So we can see everything that you're doing on a daily basis. Mm. We see, you know, when you, you know, what you're using, um, what applications you're downloading, what stuff you're saving, even when you even screenshot stuff, right? Because it's all up, it's all around data protection, right? You want to know where your data is going. So these are new kind of services, but new technologies that have come on the market that can kind of be able to secure your assets, as we call them in the industry, outside of your network, right? Your secure network is where your servers are. So when you're at home, you're not on our Wi-Fi, you're on your own Wi-Fi. So now we have a whole, we don't know what type of Wi-Fi you keep. And if you change your password from password one, two, three, you know, or if you're at Starbucks, right? And you're using companies and you're using Starbucks Wi-Fi, which is like a super no-no. These are things that we can now detect and not allow you to connect if we see that you're using, you know, unencrypted Wi-Fi. Um, so these are just the new technologies that are, and usually sometimes, sometimes the employees know or they don't know, you know, but ultimately these are technologies that um, kind of work that we capitalized on, but ultimately created a new opportunity in the market now because it creates a, a whole new level of what is security now. Justin, it feels like you are in my notes, man, because I was just about to um, um, talk about practical tips and best practices. So let's mm-hmm. just um, um, jump right into it before we start um, discussing your other um, businesses as well. So what you're saying is that places like um, the mall, places like yeah. Starbucks, places like McDonald's, you know, right. uh, that have this uh, uh, public Wi-Fi we shouldn't be using these uh, Wi-Fis? No, no. They're, they're pretty much traps for hackers. I mean, literally, hackers sit outside of Walmarts and redirect Wi-Fi. So, like, huh. let's say a, a hacker could send up another signal in the air, another Wi-Fi signal that says Starbucks 2 or Starbucks underscore, right? And you're going to click on that. And once you click on that, based on what they have configured in their system to be able to track your keystrokes, to be to, they could they could track all of your kind of your, your, your pictures, your your messages, um, all of your phone numbers, and depending on how you have your security set up, and the let's say the, the 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 sophistication of the hacker, man, they can go as deep as being able to type emails to your people through your own email address, you know, and that's the way that a lot of these hackers get get you know get um, get victims, and you know if there's no Wi-Fi on, if there's no security, if there's no encryption level of encryption. You know, whether it's SSL or something that's on that Wi-Fi signal, it's pretty much fair game. And, you know, the average person is not going to understand Starbucks 1 versus Starbucks 2. They're just going right. to click on 1 and you'll get, if you, if you even want 10%, you'll get if 100 people going there, you'll get 10% of the people clicking on on Starbucks 2. And that can be your take for a whole month. I mean, you know, you can drain people's information. Wow. You know, 
people keep a lot of their passwords on their phones. It's yeah. on your phone too. It's not just your computer. If you're on your phone connecting, they can see all your pictures, your data, your Apple Pay data, all that stuff, your Cash App data, everything. So you know, it's really a, it's really a trap that you know a lot of people and but the stores do it because you know they can market. We have free Wi-Fi. Right. You know? Right. Brings you in. Wow. 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 I'm I'm thinking about all those little um, cafes, all, all those little um, um, coffee cafes that I've been to that um, that that have the free Wi-Fi. And oh, man. Oh, man. Well, well, I am going to I'm glad that I had this interview with you because uh, I'm I'm going to definitely stop. I haven't been um, a victim just yet. Knock on wood. Um, so, so yeah. So, um, before we move on to your next business, what word of advice, um, would you have for for the person that is listening, uh, that is thinking about cyber security? What would you tell them? Um, so I would say it's a great industry. You know, I would say the world is getting more technology, Mm -hmm. uh, more technology driven from AI to robotics to of course, machine learning, which is intertwined in that. These all cannot run without cybersecurity. This basically means more computers, right? With more computers, you need more security. And, you know, it's an industry that continuously growing. There's over 3.2 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs in the U.S. right now. Wow. And it's going to continue to grow. And honestly, that's why I preach our youth need to be in this industry. You know, other cultures are putting their kids into this stuff at young ages. You know, we send our kids to sports. They're sending their kids to technology camps. And by the time they're 18, they're years ahead of our children. And that's why, you know, look at the wage gap. They'll tell you, you know, who's really in front. Right. And it shows where they invest. So I would say this is a perfect industry. Invest in certifications. You know, if you can't make it to college, it's not the end of the world. The certifications and the knowledge is what you truly need. Certifications, whether I mean like CompTIA, you know, or or, or getting some of your Amazon, you know, they have Amazon um, um AWS certifications hmm. or, you know, but basically starting out with your CompTIA network plus security plus, but this is the industry you need to be in. You want to work from home. You want to make six figures. You want to have a steady income. This is the, op- this is the industry. And, uh, and that's my mission is continue to, to stress this to our youth and providing products for them. But that's the advice I would give them is to focus on getting your certifications. And if you can't make it to college, then, you know, if you can go to college, get a cybersecurity degree, an IT degree, um, and then from there, you will have options in the marketplace. Oh man, yeah, I have. Um, I have a friend, um, uh, Frank, who who has a um, who who has an IT degree and did not take the uh, traditional route of of yeah. school. And uh, <laughs> Frank is doing just fine. <laughs> he he is doing fine. he is doing just fine. And and what what he's doing, he's getting his son. Um, 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 acclimated to this IT world, this IT life, because he was telling me, he was like, bruh, you need to get out of media and do this IT thing because IT, it's one of those things that it's never going away and it's only growing. And with AI, it's going to grow exponentially. Um, so, um, uh, so you do have, um, um, another, um, uh, virtual business as well called uh, Dreamers Inspiration. Can you uh, uh, tell us what the what the inspiration behind Dreamers Inspiration is and the mission? Yeah, so Dreamers Inspiration is ultimately just a, a kind of an umbrella or kind of a kind of an overarching company that focuses on just providing inspirational tools for youth to basically reach their level of success and whatever 
field that really is towards the future. And mine mm. is cybersecurity. Yeah. So under Dreamers Inspiration, we have something called Cyber Warrior Gaming. And Cyber Warrior Gaming is basically what I was telling you as far as being able to get our youth into cybersecurity early, right? But you can't give them a PowerPoint or a big fat book, right? That's not going to intrigue them. They got taking all this stuff in front of them is digital and all creative. So if you want to be able to engage you, you have to bring something creative. So, man, we've created some really cool cyber virtual missions, bro. I'm talking about like really next level, um, you know, cyber edu gaming that really mm. exposes our kids to cybersecurity, but in the coolest ways, man. I mean, it allows them to dream and get, you know, ignite a love for it. And, you know, I want it to be just as cool as you think, you know, dunking a basketball is. Yeah. Because ultimately that's what we're competing against on a daily basis. And, you know, so we have something called CyberWarriorGaming.com, which is a kind of the the full product of what Dreamers Inspiration provides. And, man, we do uh, like cybersecurity gaming sessions with our youth. We call them, we call them cyber fears, uh, cy- uh, cy- the, cy- the cybersphere. And. We bring our youth in, man. They compete uh, on laptops, you know, whether it's, you know, Operation Cobra Fang, where you mm. have to hack three servers from Russia, Iraq. And, you know, we really put them in the seat of true cyber missions um, with, like, animated characters, bro. It's really, really next level. And, uh, you know, they compete and they win money, you know, because, in, you know, intellectual dominance brings bread, you know, brings bread. So I just con- use that as a mechanism to show them, you know, man, you know, all, they may don't think you can shoot a basketball now, but let's give it 15 years and, and we'll see who's really on their trajectory, you know, to, to being successful. And um, and that's kind of the full overall mission of Dreamers Inspiration and the product of it is Cyber Warrior Gaming, which is uh, all free online right now until until it's not. But, you know, <laughs> we would always, get, you know, man, you know, $5, $6, you know, whatever, just so we can keep the company going. But yeah to make sure that everybody can have access to this level of understanding. I mean, they learn about firewalls. I mean, you know, stuff that they wouldn't, that you, that honestly, I didn't learn until I was 23. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you well, know, and um, so. What's the age group for this? Because I'm listening to this. Um, I have two daughters. I have an um, 11-year-old and a 7-year-old, and they're very much so both into um, gaming, the the eleven uh, year old, uh, she she codes. Um, so we're actually pushing her. You know, shout out to my friend Frank. We're, we're um, pushing her more to um, more to the digital sphere, more to um, more to IT. So, what what age groups do you all um, service? Yeah, so ages seven through seventeen. So yeah. So we do, and also we do virtual virtual competitions as well. So we've had kids from Florida, man, kids from Michigan, kids from Texas tapping in and just really connecting with each other, you know, and finding other like-minded kids that really see technology as, as the coolest, you know, the coolest thing out, which it truly, it really is. And um, so this pretty much within this age group, and then, you know, when they come in person, we like let the seven through nine-year-olds compete. Like the, you know, the uh, no, 7 to 10-year-olds compete, the, like the 11 to 13-year-olds compete, and then the 14 to 17-year-olds compete, uh, you know, in the certain cyber missions. that and we have all kind of different levels of difficulty that, you know, allow them to truly learn about the cybersecurity perspective. And a lot of the gaming is truly just around critical thinking, mm. um, attention to detail. Um, because, you know, you can't really tell a kid, every, you know, you're gonna, you can't teach them, like, the terms and stuff like that. But we create stories and missions and games that you leave learning about firewalls and servers 
but the way that you won the mission was by using your critical thinking skills, wow. having attention to detail, which is really the main components of cybersecurity and the ability to, you know, trust what you see and, and act on it within a time limit, right? Whenever something gets hacked, everything is about how much time, how much downtime do we have mm. or how much, you know, there's a time limit when we find out we're hacked to when we can shut down the system. So all those components are built into these games, man, that the kids love it, man. I mean, the kids love it. It's just really our community that I'm having the biggest issue with this. Because when I go talking like this at the basketball camps, man, I, man, shoot, I get, I get drinking thrown on me. <laughs> yeah, watch out. Well, well, well. Hey, um, um, I can't speak for 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 every other state, um, uh, but but I know uh, here here in Pennsylvania, um, we would we would absolutely. Love this. Um, now, you uh, uh, brought up um, different terms and everything like that, and you all use uh, the, the term um, ad- agile gaming products, uh, which is intriguing. So can you e- elaborate on what this means and how it enhances the learning experience for users on your platform? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So the term is uh, so I probably didn't say it right. So edu gaming. Oh, OK. Yeah, edu game. Yeah, so edu gaming, and more of so, you know, being able to educate our youth through gamification. I love you know, that. Gamification is one of the most proven scientific ways of how kids can retain information, and so you know, we gamify it through showing them, you know, showing them firewalls in the scenarios they're seeing. So if we're mm. doing Operation Oberfang. You have, you know, your CISO. You have your cyber analyst. See, these are things that they're picking up through the story of watching the mission. So you just so now okay, there's three positions now. So I know I can be this guy, this person, or this person, right? And then they learn they had to hack six firewalls within a server on a military base in, in Iran or something, you know, giving them true scenarios and then giving them real agencies, like you're yeah. in a mission under the US Cyber Command. You know what I mean? So to let them know, yo, these are real places where you can put this, this is real stuff. Right. You know, you know, we're doing missions under the FBI cyber division, and we're using that as the as a storyline, you know, and then using a real cybersecurity position. Yeah, here's your CISO, uh, Officer Davis, and he's talking. He's a nice animated character that looks like you and is telling you what the mission is. Well, mm. hello, hello, cyber warrior. We have we have received the mission, the mission call from, you know, uh, Joint Base This. We're targeted to, to, to you know, focus on hacking three nuclear, nuclear sites in, you know, Russia or something, you know put them in the seats of what they're truly going to see so it can ignite a love for like, whoa, yo, this is what it could be. Oh man. You know? So ultimately when they get older, this is something that they've already been introduced to. They right. have a fluency with, you know, it takes time to get fluent at this stuff. That's why the, you know, other cultures, they'd be so much better, you know, like when we're adults, because it takes time. That's yeah. why we're so good at basketball because that's all we do until we're 18. Right. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. What you do most is what you do best. Mm. And it's like, um, this is the, the the mindset that I want. You know, it's not, I got nothing, you know, I play, you can do it, but are we 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 sell the dream to our children in yeah. mass. Ain't nothing wrong with it, but how are you selling your children? You know what I mean? Yeah, indeed. Are you giving them balance? And that's the key thing. We need balance, and there's no balance when it comes to our youth. Um, you know, truly in mass, not in you know, in mass being able to capitalize on these future industries. Right. Right. And yeah. and um and what goes um um what goes along with these future industries, folks, we call this a segue. What goes along uh with these future industries is how you dress. 
and yeah. how you present yourself not only at work but 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 also in the interview uh and you have a suit company as well where you sold 150 suits in your first year so yes. for uh, for executive suit what were some of the strategies and approaches you used to achieve this level of success yeah so man we you know i took a trip over to Asia, uh, probably about 2016, man, with the idea of I couldn't find good suits over here. I'm about 6'4", about 215, man, and they don't they don't have my size up at Joseph A., man. And, yeah. and, yeah. <laughs> if they do, if they do, I'm going to come out there looking like the Tin Man. You know, the soul food pants on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, man, just really went over to Asia, man, you know, put the money up, made the investment, because I saw a market where people like me, my size, a lot of my athletic friends that mm-hmm. play college basketball, you know, we gonna one, you know, one percent of us reaching the NBA, man. So some, we all going to get sued soon, right? So you know, <laughs> and I was like, um, you know, this was a, a opportunity in a market that I saw that could capitalize. So when I came into the market, I focused on making sure my pricing was very good. So I was mm-hmm. selling, man. I was two for two for four ninety nine. what? Do you still and have they, that deal? <laughs> no, no, no. So we don't got that deal no more. Um, but that was the deal that brought me onto the market. Yeah. And uh, we made probably, I mean, man, you'd be surprised how much money you can, how much the profit margins these people make off these suits, man. It's disgusting. Wow. How much they charge here. It's, it's crazy. Um, but I knew that and I knew, okay, you know, I don't need much right now. You know, I'm a small company. You know, if I pull a hundred off of each of these right now, I'm straight. I'm in my mama's house. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and that was a way that I really blast on the market, man. And we made, you know, we made good money. Um, and usually people order more than one. So once you got past two, then it became a little more. Right. So you know, so that's really how we make good money. But, you know, man, it was pretty much guerrilla marketing. You know, I was pulling up on people's mailboxes. Um, I would be going to like, you know, little vendor shows and stuff like that. Um, you know, and but, you know, and ultimately learning how to tailor and everything was a part of that. Mm. And um, but it was truly just, man, you know, a, really just a grind type business. But it was a need that I was feeling. Because tailor suits are ultimately very expensive. Yeah. And, you know, being able to chop that and play and play the long game is what I was doing. And, and it, you know, it definitely spurred us on the market now. And now we focus on more working with college colleges. Mm-hmm. So we just did the University of Missouri, the whole basketball team. Wow. So Man. that's where we're kind of we're kind of limiting our customer base, but we're kind of keeping, you know, our quantity up. One customer is getting larger. Right, that's forty suits, man, for one order. So, and then you know we're going to get in the football team next year. And that's you know that's I don't know how many, and then so over a hundred. That's, that's really the focus of us right now is kind of going at bigger institutions, uh, because man, you know, I like dealing with people, but when you you know when you're doing tailor suits, man, you when you come deliver that suit, whatever going on in their day, you get the part of that too. <laughs> even, if, even if the suit look good and they and they not feeling good, man, you know it was. So it's a super people business, but that was one of the ways that I truly came onto the scene was had the best price and the best quality. I like to say, have you seen that movie American Gangster? Oh yeah, man. Yeah, I like to say I was the Frank Lucas of the suit business. Right? <laughs> I had the best price and the best quality, hands down. And you and and it seems like you, um, just like Frank Lucas, it seems like you eliminated the middleman as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely. It was straight, straight me. Yep, me and the guy was directly talking. It was no third broker that's why i was able to charge so low right is because 
There you go. I had direct the source. Oh, I, I love it. Blue Magic. It's a brand name. Right. <laughs> I love it. It's a brand name. So, uh, so as a millennial yourself, um, you understand the financial com- constraints many young professionals face. So how does executive uh, suit cater to this demographic and help them protect their professional image without breaking the bank? Yeah, that was one of the key things as well, you know. The fact that I actually have the factory and the, and the ability to source direct to, you know, direct to uh, for the suits, you know, I've been able to help a lot of, you know, young black males be in suits, um, you know, and even me being able, they see me in suits inspires them. And, you know, I really do not try to really make true money off of inspiration in, in a sense, you know, for people that need it, um, you know, I truly try to use the power that I have with being able to get a suit for a fresh suit for $90 that mm. easily could go for $400. You know, and um, and that's kind of just wanting to be a blessing for others with that, you know, and also, you know, for the, the lower price as well for us, you know, as people that can't, you know, ain't got 1600 for one suit. Yeah. Or, you know, that college student that just came out of come out of school and, you know, doesn't have the money to go and get something very nice, but he needs to impress. This is what we're here for. Um, and that was one of the kind of underlying missions of doing it was to help, you know, our community not have to break the bank and be able to, you know, have more of an investment into other things instead of looking, you know, looking apart. Man, I will tell you this. I wish that um, you all were around um, right after my undergraduate years because, man, let me, t- <laughs> let me tell you this. Um, I wore my prom suit to, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I wore my prom suit to, to my first Matter of fact, my first year of interviews after college, um, I was wearing my prom suit from from uh, 12th, 12th grade. So, um, yeah, yeah. I love that uh, you you have started this because I, I think about myself and I'm like, man, I know that I couldn't have been the only person in this situation. And when I graduated back in 2007, um, typically folks just did one interview and 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 that was it nowadays like you see you know two three interviews and everything i couldn't imagine the position that i would be in you know wearing the same suit to to the second interview um right. yeah yeah so um so for yourself um um beyond suits uh, does executive suit company offer any lifestyle accessories or complementary products that align with your brand's vision and ethos um currently you know i got some stuff in the and i got some stuff in the in the works can't really you know don't want to say it yet but Dang. you know currently at the moment you know man when i'm with i'm i'm stretched so not thin but it's just so many pots moving you know right now we just focusing on suits and really but we have so many different variations and we have so many cool new additions of what you can do with suit fabric man i mean mm. uh, you know some people some of the new stuff that we're doing people literally want it off of my back when I be on this, when I be out and about just because of, you know, the level of professionalism and comfortability that it has. So coming soon, but currently at the moment, it's just, we have a large variety of suits um, that we, you know, that we, that we use. Um, but that's coming soon for sure. You got me thinking. All right. And and, and then um, final question here uh, for, for yourself as a serial entrepreneur, 
Um, what advice do you have uh, for for the listener that's listening that has more than one business idea? Because we always hear, oh, concentrate on one thing, concentrate on one thing, concentrate on one thing. And, and I believe uh, that has uh, and should be morphed because as 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 people, as humans, uh, we we hold many capacities. So what advice would you have uh, for that um, future serial yeah. entrepreneur? No, definitely. I definitely think that, you know, having multiple businesses is definitely the way to go. It's just to really make sure that the business that you have is of value. Um, you know, and you always have to have to have a main engine, right? You can't have a bunch of small businesses, I would say, right? You got to have one business that kind of funds your other endeavors, right? So like Spark C is my main horse, right? That's the one that has six employees. And I've always built it like I'm going to have a main horse and two other horses that bring me money in, but are more of a long-term visionary type of business, even though Spark is, but let Spark go crazy. I'll sell that thing. I'm out, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I do something else that more of so is not directly government contracting and, and kind of that type of stuff. Um, and I have, you know, with Cyber Warrior Gaming, I really think that that's going to be the next Netflix of Cyber Edu Gaming mm. for school. So right now, schools is not in schools like it's going to be in 10 years. Yeah. They're going to need products that are going to intrigue the youth around technology education that they may not be able to procure or buy. But you go right online, pay $3.99, get the whole class, you know, you know, have a nice competition. So that's one vision. And with with our with, with the suit company, you know, just, just continuing to innovate. And we have some other things in the background but ultimately man i believe the you know you can't have every you know certain things slow up certain businesses certain industries and certain seasons so having multiple streams of income i believe that's the best way but always evaluate your time you want to make sure that whatever you're giving your time to you're actually bringing you're actually giving value to it right so many people got all these businesses but they ain't doing nothing with them because you're truly you don't have a plan first thing but also you're not truly working on the things that are bringing value to each of those businesses in their current stat in their current situation right mm -hmm. and that's what that's some just advice but i'm totally a, a total believer in multi-streams of income and you ain't got nothing else to do but be working a tail off what else you gonna be doing you know what i mean that party party, no, party when you party once you're rich you know what i mean party <laughs> you, and there ain't nothing else to be doing but to be working right now staying focused and you know and staying out of trouble and um keeping god first Amen to that. I would like to thank Justin Drummond for joining us on the Melanin Report today. Justin, thanks again, man. This was um, insightful and, and I mean, time time went by so fast. I appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, Marcus. I love what you're doing here, man. And um, I'm glad that you invited me on here. I can share a little bit of my story and hear, hear some of yours. And uh, I wish you all the success in the future, man. Oh, man, indeed, indeed. And, and likewise. So, folks, that concludes part two of our podcast series this week with our newsmaker, Justin Drummond. I want to thank Justin again for joining us on The Melanin Report. And don't forget... On Friday, the conversation continues with part three of this week's series. And you know we have our monologue and we're going to blow the top off insert topic here. What topic is it? Well, you're going to have to tune in on Friday and find out. We also have our panel discussion as well where we get into the details of said monologue. Again, I want to thank Justin for joining us and in the name of T.I. Tip. However you call them, nobody is going to love you like you. 
you're going to be your best salesman. I am Marquise Lupton. This is The Melanin Report. Trust your dopeness, and we'll see you on the other side. Peace. Would require I inflect, put the cypher and respect. Jesus Christ, y'all reject God's only begotten Son, whose response is stunned. The Pharisees must have thought God's will will not be done. So enact decrees, they can flout with ease, but cop out with please and would act displeased when devotees have no devout in these. You will have to walk with faith to make you through the pearly gates. Know God in your early days. On His words, you meditate. It's love and light, nothing to be afraid of. Such as height, for it's not by might The Messiah probably comes at night He's the one true king And to whom you ought to sing Great at keeping things You can hide beneath his wings When his hands guide There would be no reason to backslide He opens his arms wide And resurrect whoever has died I'll give everything a thank you Because you leave There's nothing that I can do Handle You are my rock and fortress you make my life work, oh I'm so blessed, so blessed I'll give everything a thank you, because you leave There's nothing that I can do, handle You are my rock and fortress You make my life work, oh I'm so blessed Jesus the great physician Healing was a stated mission Without a makeshift kitchen Feeding thousands of brave decision You made the blind regain sight And it's quite insane, right? To think sinners might complain Like he doesn't keep our main right Goes about saying his heaven sent Yes, you eloquent Not seeking their consent Slowly becoming a famous gent Touching the M of his attire Was all he did require Says his messiah And desires to save them from the fire He's had to comprehend So unbelievers had to condescend, glad to alter his strength, not pretend and bring it to a sudden end. He walks on water and storm comes. David wrote about it in some Psalms, gave hope to those living on arms, telling them there are no qualms. Jesus is a leader, apart from healing those with fever. He is deeper, he is a teacher, preacher, and best believe the good Lord is my keeper. I'll give everything a thank you because you leave. There's nothing that I can do, handle You are my rock and fortress You make my life work, oh I'm so blessed, so blessed I'll give everything a thank you, because you leave There's nothing that I can do, handle You are 